This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and, and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's always great to be with you, and this is your faithful. American Muslim patriot, reformer, believer in the fact that I'm an American first and everything else second. There is no hyphenated American. Yes, I'm proud of my Syrian culture, my Muslim faith, and my origins, but I am primarily American. It is this government that gives me the strength, that gives me the protection of my individual rights like no other government in the world. And I'm here to hold them accountable but also to thank them and to thank all of you for my freedoms. This week, yes, we are beset with another attack by an ISIS-inspired militant Islamist. This time, it's Abdul Razak Ali Artan, a Somali refugee, a Somali immigrant, who decided on Monday, November 28th, that... All of the issues that he had been talking about on Facebook and elsewhere had no longer just been about words, but had been about action. So he decided to get in a car, go into Ohio State University and start trying to hit people with his vehicle, crash to a stop after injuring a number of students, and then went out of the car and with a machete started to try to stab and kill more. And thankful to the grace of God, a police officer and a hero shot him dead and eliminated him immediately. We've seen this before. We've seen radical Islamists who have no precursor militant or violent extremism, as our homeland security calls it. And then we start wringing our hands and for days, as we saw this week, people start saying, oh, this was missed, that was missed. And that we ignore the fact that there's so many lessons in each one of these cases. That we ignore the fact that this gentleman came from, again, a practicing community from within. A community who majority love this country. American Muslims in Columbus, for example, this time. Or the militant Somali radical that 
try to kill many in a mall in Minneapolis. That also was from a large Muslim community that was, for the most part, those who loved America. But it's interesting, in a video this week, Amy Horowitz interviewed, he said something like 40 people of Somali heritage. And every one of them, when asked, would they rather live in a Muslim country or American, they said, Muslim. Would you rather live under Sharia or American law? Sharia. And this is relevant. Now, you may say he picked and chose. He said, no, the, that's what everyone said. He, he doesn't filter it. So when we have immigrants coming in, do they share our ideas or are they coming in as insurgents? And God bless America, but when are we going to begin to focus on the ideology? It is relevant. And Artan this week is not a crazed, psychotic mutation. He is one of those final common pathways of a supremacist ideology of political Islam, of militant Islam, a supremacist ideology that looks upon the West as inferior, as the other, as separate. It's a separatist movement. Many of those with that separatist Islamist movement will not become militant and they appear to be peaceful and compassionate and honest. But some will become militant. But make no mistake, there's little difference between them. The means is what's different. And yes, we're repulsed by the evil barbarism of those who would blow up innocents, who would drive cars through innocent crowds as we saw in Nice, France, who would stab innocents with a machete, who would shoot innocents like Nidal Hassan did in Fort Hood. That's what gets the attention. But the narrative, the radicalization process, the common continuum, the common story of the radicalization is not lone. It's not a lone wolf. These are soldiers who join the battalion of Islamist jihadism because they're told that America hates them. And they're told that by Islamist grievance groups who exaggerate, who exaggerate the plight of Muslims in order to separate Muslims out of the community. And that separation out of the community then facilitates a path towards isolationism and a path towards disgust and disdain for the country that gives them rights. This separationism is what we need to fight. This separationism is Islamism. It's the supremacy of Islamic, of theocratic Islamism and what drove Artan. Let's talk today. I want my podcast, my time with you today to be about understanding this man, looking at his Facebook post. What can we learn? And hopefully now as we see a shift in the transition period into the Trump administration that we will begin to translate sort of this sloppy talk into nuanced, clear strategy for a domestic and global strategy against political Islam, that we look at the Cold War as a template, but this is much, much bigger than the Cold War, which was 
not a small endeavor, but was a focused ideological battle against the Soviets. But we understood that it wasn't the Soviets that we were fighting, it was communism, it was global communism. We didn't say, well, the Chinese form or the Cuban form was better. (laughs) Though listening to people, professors, liberal bleeding heart, ideologues fret over Castro this week, you'd wonder if they didn't love all the communist nations more than they love America. Just bizarre at the pass that tyrants like Castro get because they're looked upon as revolutionaries that poke the finger in the West. I think it was Geraldo Rivera that that said that. And then they'll give you the caveat, oh, but we didn't like the way he imprisoned people. And that's not irrelevant. If you look at the ideas that Artan, this 20-year-old Somali immigrant, read, he read ideas that painted America as evil, as corrupt, as immoral. And when we look at his social media postings, you will see a man driven not only by Imam Awlaki, the common element in many of these attacks who not only had a ton of sermons that he gave of sort of the spiritual supremacism of any Islamic states and considered sort of the American Al-Qaeda Imam, but he also drove a hate and disgust for American policy that he declared war on America, which is why he has radicalized so many, but he only radicalized them to the militant operationalization of what they did, those last few steps. The initial radicalization, and I don't even like that term radicalization, because it implies something very mutated, very endpoint. The term should not be radicalization, but it should be co-optation into Islamism, adherence towards Islamism. Islamization is one term. Now, that's not exactly the best term because as a faithful Muslim, things that have the characteristics of the practice of Islam could be prayer or holidays or diet or any of the things that we do in our families. So we have to be careful. Islamic is an adjective. Islamist is a political movement, a political operative. Yes, I am dedicated to my last breath to defeat any operative of a political Islamic party like the Brotherhood or those who believe in any form of the Islamic State. But an Islamic prayer, an Islamic scripture is part of my faith and the way and my interpretation of my faith that we communicate with God. But that separation needs to happen in order for us to defeat this. CBS had a story in which they interviewed some of the Somali community just a month ago, and they talked about and interviewed Muslims that said that they had a problem of identity as Americans and as Somalis and as Muslims, that there was a division and conflict in those identities. Now, thankfully, and thanks to my parents and my upbringing, I never even came close to ever having that kind of conflict. But these individuals never understood what America was, if that's how they felt. And they probably grew up in families or influenced by role models that were Islamists, that 
hated America, that did not teach them that America was the best form of government on the planet to give them the freedoms they needed to be Muslim or humans. This is the battle of identity, and until we turn the counter-terrorism operations away from simply being counter-violence operations, that somehow this man, Arthan, was a normal guy until, oh, he became, he picked up the knife and started to plan to get in his car. Then he became an enemy of America. No, this guy was an enemy of America last week, a month ago, and likely six months ago. And likely when they came here from Pakistan and before that, Somalia. So when you interview folks and they tell you that they'd rather live in a Muslim country than here, if they're American citizens, fine. We will expose them and show them and marginalize them to be the insurgents that they are. But if they're on their way into America, why are we letting them in? Are we not learning that lesson that that should be part of the vetting? Not that they just adhere to a terror group or that they acknowledge the need for violence, which none of them will do. But I think if they're asked about whether drawing the Prophet Muhammad should be made illegal, and if they say yes, then don't let them in. That means they don't share our values. And I believe if you had vetted families correctly against Islamist ideology, the Artan family would not be here. His car, by the way, was registered to a Muhammad Ali. Which family is that? How many families knew about this guy's radicalization? When we come back in the next segment, I want to walk through some of his social media postings that we believe pretty conclusively were posted by Abdul Razak in the hours before his attack. There's a lot to learn there, and that's where the radar of our homeland security should be. Media, government, academia, as we begin to identify, analyze, counter the enemy, and then create programs that can fill those voids that the Council on American-Islamic Relations and other grievance groups are creating in Muslims that opens up their heart to be radicalized in a militant way as they radicalize them in a non-militant way. But we should instead motivate them to have an American identity first that's based in classic liberty, freedom, and anti-theocracy. This is Zudi Jasser, and I'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. 
No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Reaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Again, I'm trying to dissect with you an understanding of not only Artan, he's one guy that committed this heinous act, but bigger, bigger issues, which is the movement, the underbelly of this that nobody's addressing, the cause, the root cause, not just to put a Band-Aid over it and say, oh, next time we'll find when they say this, that means they're going to pick up a knife. Next time we'll find when they talk to, oh, when they read and listen to Olaki, Imam Olaki, he must be the, the trigger that lights their fuse. We need to get off that paradigm. We need to get off the paradigm that somehow you're going to prevent the next attack by taking away one trigger. They will find 30 other triggers to legitimize their own lack of self-worth, their own inferiority, which they fuel with an Islamic supremacism. And that Islamic supremacism for the Sharia state, that loyalty to the global jihad, can only be fed by a hatred for the biggest threat to that theocracy, which is liberty, Western freedom, individuality against the tribe, minority rights against the majority, majoritocracy or mobocracy as we've seen across the Arab awakening. This is the issues that are at hand, and every one of these cases has within it some of the learning points. Yes, many of them are vulnerable youth that have had probably histories as as children and teens of troubled identity issues and ultimately yes those are the youth that are going to become the most operationalized militarily and apt to snap as they say but come on still three four days into this attack and we were wringing our hands i say we not i but media were wringing their hands about well we we still haven't identified the motive and then all of a sudden isis hands them a gift and in elflock journal or, or internet online posting takes credit for it and says that uh, Artan was one of their soldiers and then they say oh okay so this was an ISIS attack and even when they saw his postings of Awlaki the imam connected with Al-Qaeda they said well maybe this wasn't ISIS this was Al-Qaeda come on stop looking at the branches and the leaves and look at the forest The forest is on fire. How the fire travels from tree to tree just does not matter. You want to put out this forest fire. You want to prevent it from going into the next county. We don't know when the next singular attack is, and I don't know if there's much we can do to prevent the next one. I think there's some things, and I'll tell you about those, but I think globally... We have to start looking at major changes within the Muslim ideology and the approach within our faith against theocrats, against theocracy, against the place and understanding of Sharia in our life and in government. And we have to begin to teach our children and our communities that love for America is number one. Every It's going to take a concerted campaign 
of sermons telling Muslims that this system, this Jeffersonian democracy is the best system, that if Muhammad was alive today, he would die for America and he would not want anything to do with an Islamic state because theocracy is a proven failure. He would say that the 7th century standards might have helped and been beneficial to change back then, but today the West has proven that the best systems of government are those that are not theocracies, those that are based in individual liberties and the protection of universal human rights. That's what I believe Muhammad would say if he was alive today, and he would reject Wahhabism, he would reject Hassan al-Banna's radical Islamism of the Muslim Brotherhood, he would reject Salafism as a return to look back rather than modernity. But this is my own conjecture based on reading liberal scholars like Abdullah Naim at Emory University, Muhammad al-Ashmawi from Egypt, Fatima Maranisi from Morocco, and other liberal scholars, Fazlur Rahman from Pakistan, on and on. There are many scholars who have in Islam, talked about the need to reject the Islamic State. Bassam Tibi from Syria talked about Islam and Islamism and said that the core cancer within Muslim theology is political Islam and Islamism. So when asked next time what the problem is, what do we need to reform what this program's about, right? We reform Islam towards freedom and liberty away from Islamism. It's the Islamism, stupid. It's the Islamism. Political movement. The attraction to want to die for this political movement. As Hoffer said in his book, True Believer, the only true movements that succeed in history are those are those movements which have followers who would die for their movement. He said, if you're not willing to die for your movement, you will not succeed. It will fail. And I, I think he's, he's right about that. These jihadists have the worst ideas on the planet evil corrupt, barbaric, and yet their ideas are spreading because people see them dying for their cause and believe it or not, as draconian and evil as and inhuman as that is, it works for attracting recruits. So you don't defeat that by saying, oh, that's bad. It's like trying to tell kids not to use drugs by telling them, oh, that's bad for you. No, you make their lives worthwhile with other things so that they see drugs as corrupt and nothing they'd ever want to touch. So we have to begin programs and teach our Muslim youth that there is nothing more honorable, more with more valor than loving this country and loving freedom and loving the nation states that protect constitutional rule of law against theocrats. That yes, religion has its place in your personal life, but not in government and not in institutions. Our Muslim Reform Movement Declaration says that clearly and briskly in two pages, and I think can be used as a tool to begin to vet those. And I think those who don't stand with those ideas should be monitored. 
publicly, not with wiretaps and invading their privacy, but online. Just look at the folks that are attacking me online through Twitter and Facebook and other social media that attack me as Uncle Tom, that tell me that I'm the enemy of Islam. Uh, you know, I, I think that my work is a magnet for these Islamists because that's what I'm trying to attack. So why can't, how hard would it be for Homeland Security to be monitoring publicly these groups that have large public footprints? The mapping programs that were shut down in New York City and L.A., those were public mapping programs to look at areas in which Muslims and Arabs and other ethnic communities like Somalis and others share ideas in a public setting. And if those ideas are about the grievance narrative, about America hating Muslims, about Muslims dying in Iraq or Afghanistan at the hands of Americans, those are radicalizing ideas, exaggerated intentionally to make Muslims feel inferior and to collectivize us against America. Now, not everyone that espouses those ideas has those intentions, but the bottom line, that is one of the side effects of those ideas. Is there some bigotry against Muslims in America? Sure. Is it to the extent that the Islamic groups want us to believe? Absolutely not. They exaggerated in order to raise money, in order to separate Muslims out and make them feel not at home rather than passionately in love with this country. Because Muslims that are passionately in love with America will never want to be Islamist and never want to believe in the creation of Islamic states. And in fact, will fight those states as I do. I want to end this segment with a Facebook post from a uh, friend, Muhammad Shuman, in Washington. And I think it says it all. And, and then I promise when we come back, I'm going to talk to you about uh, the uh, militant's uh, Facebook post. But I think this one is more important to get out first. Muhammad Shuman wrote, he was a refugee, talking about Artan, here on a green card. And this is the thanks he gives us. How do we allow such people to even enter the United States? By such people, I mean people who clearly hold loyalties to hostile territories and have no trouble embracing the Islamic Jihad. I don't care about being Muslim, but use any religion to hold dual loyalties and you shouldn't be here at all. There are patriotic American Muslims like Zudi Jasser and Ezra Nomani who have openly denounced racism and Islamophobia and yet have been clearly addressing his ideology of hatred being imported into this country. Listen to them. Don't marginalize them. You don't have to be on the political right here to get this. Faisal Saeed Mutar, Ali Rizvi, Alishba Zarmin, Maryam Namazi, Majid Namwaz are all on the political left and would have particularly nothing to do with Donald Trump. Yet as immigrants or asylees in the United States, Canada, and the UK, they fully recognize that we have an ideological problem to tackle. How about bringing in people clearly committed to being loyal citizens who don't hold this loyalty to the Muslim ummah or community over those chosen home, over our chosen home here in America? 
For how long will Americans allow themselves to be treated as suckers at the expense of lost lives? I meet people openly who brag to me their oaths of allegiance mean nothing, that they say what they have to say to become citizens. Enjoy being taken advantage of, America. You should not. As usual, we'll go into denial, blame the gun, blame the videos, blame Trump, blame something else. Then we'll discuss the economic misfortunes of this individual or his grievances, even though he was an excellent academic setting and most Islamic jihadists are pretty well off. We'll have spokespeople from organizations with shady backgrounds imply that anyone denouncing Islamic jihad as a racist who doesn't understand the true motivations of this poor refugee. His community will say no one saw any signs that he was a good kid who kept to himself and that the big concern now is about backlash in the country that provides more religious liberty than any Islamic country. Why is the far right taking over in Europe? Because no reasonable mainstream political party wants to discuss these issues candidly. They want to just scream racism and put their heads in the sand. White guilt, self-hatred, a lack of national identity, whatever reason, they want to see hundreds of people get shot down in Paris and still pay lip service to PC. Institute real ideological components to immigration. I don't care about religion, but if you say and use any ideology to place your loyalty outside this country, then you should be denied entry. This is what I'm talking about. Thank you, Mohammed Shuman, for sharing that post. I shared it with many, and I think it's been spread. I hope it goes viral. These are the words of Muslims. Muslims who love their faith, but love their country. First and foremost, who will fight against Islamism, understand, and are ready to acknowledge the cancer within. When we come back, let's this time look into the mind of a militant and how he thought and why so we can understand better. This is Udi Jasper on Reform This, and I'll be right back. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, we're looking at the latest attack at Ohio State University. And as America starts looking at possibly a little more common sense in the White House and approaching these things, or at least somebody who at least is paying attention to them, uh, I think it's important to start looking at the nuances and the obvious things that are staring us in the face and talk about them. And that's one of the things I think that we do on this program that you can't find anywhere else is frank talk about Islam, about jihad, about the threat, especially the nonviolent threat. Because that's something we can do something about, is the nonviolent threat that radicalizes. Once they become violent... 
You just got to eliminate those folks. They become military and police targets, homeland security targets when they start carrying knives and driving cars into crowds and plotting pressure cookers and suicide belts and other things. Those are military targets. You can't de-radicalize. You can't counter-radicalize that. But the underbelly, the supremacism of political Islam, that can be countered. And remember, in the, the, these attacks, ISIS and their Dabik magazine, Dabik was uh, the center of what was to be the caliphate earlier this year, had a call to commit acts not only using weapons, but this time using non-typical weapons such as knives, and they called for the use of trucks. And on the cover of their magazine, they said, drive trucks into large crowds, either in malls or open-air parking lots or wherever there may be large crowds. And sure enough, on Bastille Day in Nice, France, an ISIS operative injured hundreds in killing tens and tens of innocent French as they were celebrating Bastille Day, the day of French independence. And then in October, in the magazine Rumiya, another online ISIS publication named after Rome, which ISIS believes will become Muslim under their godforsaken caliphate that I hope becomes a footnote into history very soon, in that magazine, they then called for the use of knife slaughter and describe in, in grim detail the pleasure they should have in stabbing individual innocents and that those are not innocents, they are kafir and in, or infidels or disbelievers of Islam. They called for attacks using knives and terror operations using the tip of the knife and justification for their brutality in their Rumiya magazine. They called them just terror acts, as in justice. They show trainers explaining how to commit these acts, and this was released by Sight Intelligence Group. Fast forward to November 28, 2000. 16, the Somali refugee who had brought over with him, I'm sure, a disdain for America and a disdain for the West, posts this on Facebook Monday morning. In the name of Allah, the most merciful and the most gracious, my brothers and sisters, I am sick and tired of seeing my fellow Muslim brothers and sisters being killed and tortured everywhere. Seeing my fellow Muslims being tortured, raped, and killed in Burma led to a boiling point. I can't take it anymore. Pause here a second. Did he not get Obama's eight years of footnotes that he was leaving and pulling out troops and had given Iraq to Iran and left virtually nobody in Afghanistan? And what are we doing? I don't know what he's talking about in Burma. Continue his Facebook post. America, stop interfering with other countries, especially the Muslim Ummah. Ummah means community or state. We are not weak. We are weak. Remember that. If you want us Muslims to stop carrying lone wolf attacks, then make peace with Dawla in al-Sham. Dawla in al-Sham is the 
state in Damascus, but Shem also means the state in the Levant or ISIL. Make a pact or a treaty with them where you promise to leave them alone, you and your fellow apostate allies. By Allah, we will not let you sleep unless you give peace to the Muslims. You will not celebrate or enjoy any holiday. So here's a warrior declaring why he is enlisting as a soldier against the enemies of his ideology in the West and laying out that there were acts of war committed in Burma and committed wherever he saw that the other attacks that he then felt he was a part of. He said, Every single Muslim who disapproves of my actions is a slipper cell, waiting for a signal. I'm warning you, O America. So he's saying even the Muslims that condemn his act are sleeper cells. Stop the killing of Muslims in Burma, he said. And a message to the Muslims, don't listen to celebrity scholars who sold their deen. I'm talking about Yasser Qadi, Omar Sulaiman, and the list goes on. Beware of Al-Maghrib Institute. Listen instead to our hero, Imam Anwar al-Awlaki. So it's fascinating that the, the, the Muslims he lists, I've talked about on this program before as being some of the more radical separatist Islamists in this country. But the difference is they work with Homeland Security, to my chagrin. They work against Al-Qaeda because they are Islamists who are non-violent, who believe, yes, I believe they hate this country. I believe that they don't believe in the Constitution as far as it would be if Muslims were a majority. They accept it as the law of the land. They're not anarchists. But I don't believe that Yasser Qadi, for example, who I talked about in the episode about Muhammad Ali months ago, who Yasser felt was his hero because he stood up and did not fight in the American military and then how that defines that. This man, as a militant, considers Yasser Qadi an enemy, a celebrity imam. So note that he doesn't like him, didn't really get into the ideology, but doesn't like him because he cozies up to the West. And I don't think he cozies up if anyone listens to his sermons. He's very anti-Semitic, anti-Israel, anti-Western, anti-freedom, pro-Islamist, pro-Salafi, pro-ideology that is all about the Islamic State nonsense. Yes, he condemns ISIS, he condemns the more fringe elements, but anyone who does any research on Yasser Qadi, Omar Suleiman, or others will find that these guys are simply like the internecine battles within the Islamists where the Muslim Brotherhood might hate Al-Qaeda, where the Muslim Brotherhood of Egypt condemns terrorism and separates itself from ISIS. We even saw when Muslim Brotherhood was running Egypt, they tried to separate themselves from Hamas, the terrorist organization that they directly hatched. And yet they worked with them and tried to pretend to be mediators with Israel. When in fact it's all from the same poisonous tree of political Islam and its supremacist Sharia state. Back to this radicals post let me as you he says let me as you this question ask you this question if the muhammad peace and blessings upon him and his sahaba were here today wouldn't the western media call them terrorists 
to conclude by Allah, I'm willing to use a billion infidels in retribution. There's a lot to be learned here. He talks about the, the non-violent Islamists. He talks about the fact that he believes what he's doing is in the tradition of the Prophet, that the terror that he commits is what he believed the Prophet would do. So therefore that narrative is not being countered. We're not flooding. The, the anti-terror message coming from most Muslim groups is just about the tactic. It's not about the concept, the state of mind, not only Islamic state, but state of mind of the radicals. And before that, Artan had been in the Lantern magazine of Ohio State University saying, I wanted to pray in the open, but I was kind of scared. And everything going on in the media, I'm a Muslim. It's not what the media portrays me to be. If people look at me, a Muslim praying, I don't know what they're going to think, what's going to happen, but I don't blame them. It's the media that put this picture in the head. Artan told reporter Kevin Stankowitz, and he goes on to talk about Islamophobia and the hate that exists by some Americans. And that Islamophobia term, I think, should be, <laughs> to use a, a, a leftist latest term, a trigger warning. When they bring it up, it should be, a, I think, a signal of radicalization. Because it feeds, it feeds into this mantra that somehow criticism of Islam this, he's not talking about bigotry against Muslims he's using the term Islamophobia and this term has been adopted by the OIC lobby as you and I have talked before that lobby of billions of dollars from Saudi, Qatar and other monarchies that don't want the West to start to counter the Islamist ideology they use the term Islamophobia and you notice the militants also use it because they want blasphemy laws, they want apostasy laws, they hate freedom and believe that the criticism of Islam is not because of the need for reform, but it's because of the hate and that human beings left to their own devices should not have that freedom, but should be forced under their boots of theocracy. And this is not just Artan, it's not just the Orlando radical Islamist, it's not just the San Bernardino terrorist of Sheen Malik, not just the Boston bombers. Behind them are thousands upon thousands of those that believe in the supremacism of the Sharia state. When we come back, I want to talk to you about in the end here, the continued willful blindness of the left, solutions that we can see. And next week, the Muslim reform movement is entering into its second year. We have our one-year anniversary. We're trying to get a mass movement to begin. We're going to be using a software platform called Thunderclap. So I'd ask you to sign on. Go to my Twitter handle at ReformThisRadio and you'll see a 
a link to it or go to my other Twitter handle of my personal Twitter account, Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I Jasser, and I will lead you to how to join us in this thunderclap on December 4th. 2016 be one year from the initial declaration of the Muslim Reform Movement. This is Zudi Jasser, and I'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Patents Stew. Ireland's president, he says, uh, having survived 600 attempts on his life, Fidel Castro, known to his abusers, he was El Cantante. Uh, became one of the longest-serving heads of state. Again, I love this. Length is great. <laughs> no. So good. Like, with so what? He had a long reign of terror. Yeah. You know, th- that is a negative. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This. We're dissecting and helping begin the process of healing after this week's horrific attack by Abdul Razak Ali Artan, a Somali immigrant whose family came here in 2014 from Pakistan only to plant the seed for a poisonous, poisonous barbarian to then attack his fellow students at o- at Ohio State University on November 28. And we've been talking about some of the details that we can learn from, and I hope now, as I leave you this week, you put on your calendars that next Sunday, December 4th, 2016, you'll join us everywhere you are on social media to help us thunderclap the one-year anniversary of our Muslim reform movement spread its declaration and begin the process of using the hashtag MyMuslimReform and we are part of the solution. We recognize that we are Muslims that need to solve this Muslim problem. And if there's anything we learn from the attack of Artan, remember last year when we founded our Muslim reform movement, our declaration came out after our summit of reformers that began on December 2nd. And by God, sure enough, there was another attack in San Bernardino on December 3rd. And yes, it brought some more attention to our work, but actually in some ways less because it was so fresh right after that attack. People were still focused on this heinous attack on a healthcare facility during a holiday party from a couple that had whose spouse, whose wife had come in, also had not been registered and had not been on the radar of anyone, but yet had been radicalized and had been an online graduate of a Al-Huda school in Pakistan that should have been followed, that should have been monitored. But it wasn't. And we're not learning from any of those mistakes. A report earlier this week talked about over 10,000 documents and a huge amount of digital data that were seized in Syria after a group was driven out of Mambij in northern Syria in August. Major General Rupert Jones said, if we want to keep Britain safe, we need to deal with Daesh, which is another name for ISIS. He said using another name 
for the group. He said, the news comes as an anti-terror police have started deploying on London streets. General Jones said, external operations have been getting orchestrated to a very significant degree within the caliphate, critically from within Raqqa and from within Manbij. Tens of thousands of documents of attacks being orchestrated in Europe. These guys, they understand they're losing. They don't care. They want to create chaos, create more isolationism in the West so that it dissembles the Western fuel of propping up some of these dictators so that the Islamists can then fill that vacuum. So we need a bigger strategy. We need to take sides within the House of Islam with those who share our values and stop siding with the arsonists who are the dictators that in some ways fuel militancy and kill the moderates like Assad does, or in other ways like the Saudis or Qataris who are basically fueling the ideologies that radicalize these groups. They promote Islamism and want nothing to do with the secularists that share our values. And yet we're not doing anything to help in this battle of ideas. As you look at solutions, please, please start telling the Trump administration, start telling Homeland Security, members of Congress, it's not lone wolves. These are singular, as I saw online yesterday, singular soldiers, jihadists. It's not countering violent extremism. It's countering violent Islamism. It's Salafi jihadism. If you don't know what that is, look it up. Start to learn it. Just like some people may not in the 50s have known what communism was and how it related to Soviet theory, Soviet war theory. Many of you may not know what Salafi jihadism is, but if we're going to reform anything, Islam needs to rid itself of Salafi jihadism. This militant idea that we need to return everything to the way it was fought and the battles and the way the world was divided at the time of the Prophet Muhammad, which is what Salafism is in the 7th century. So when we talk about extreme vetting, I hope Trump's future leaders that work for him are talking about vetting against those who don't share a universal declaration of human rights, who don't believe in a free society, who believe in the ummah first and foremost, and who believe in jihad instead of believing in fighting for our nation states here in the West. If they don't believe in these things, don't let them in. Go back to where you came from. Yes, I have family in Syria that are trying to get here, but I know they share my values. I want them vetted. And I think you would decrease, if you did it right, 30 20, 30% of those coming in would not be in because they don't share our values. And then you'd see the numbers of Christians and Yazidis and others go up because you wouldn't have this Darwinian process of only the most militant and the most aggressive coming through here because they're the most forceful versus the women and children and others that are sort of left behind. These families could be from Somalia, they could be from Pakistan, Syria, Egypt, Iraq, Iran. Many, many different avenues and ports of entry into our country that would put us at risk. Yes, the Somali community has had more jihadists, I think, than any community that we've seen from one ethnicity. 
and it has to do with the penetration of Salafi jihadism into their ideology in Somalia. Al-Shabaab is a major radical group that has a huge influence because of the petro-Islam that came from Saudi Arabia or Al-Azhar and influenced the political movements in Somalia. And that came with them into this country. Now, not with all of them. I still believe a majority or at least a very significant plurality love this country and are escaping that theocracy. But as Ayan Hirsi Ali testifies frequently, as a Somali native, she was subjected to inhuman misogyny and crimes that included FGM and other female genital mutilation and other crimes that are all part of that same Islamist tree. As the CBS story talked about when they spoke to Abdul Razak Warsami, he talked about how his identity is conflicted between being American, Somali, and Muslim. Solutions, visions for the future need to come back around and work with Muslims that don't have a conflict in being American and believing in the society. That want to reject not only ISIS, but all Islamic State concepts. That believe and understand and acknowledge and take responsibility for the need to reform. That's who should be leading this effort. And yet we ignore the fact that the even the countering violent extremism programs, which are absurdly anemic, were fought by American Islamist grievance groups because they said they targeted Muslims, when in fact they were bending over backwards not to, which made them ineffective against Islamism. And yet CARE and others rejected DHS's outreaches in Minneapolis. And if that's not insult to injury, need I remind you who's running for chair of the DNC? The Democratic National Committee now has as a lead chair... Congressman Keith Ellison, who has been no proponent of Homeland Security's operations, even for CVE programs, which are around Minneapolis, and has complained that they targeted Muslims. And yet his district area, or the areas surrounding his district around Minneapolis, have been one of the areas that have been the most jihadi magnets in the country, with 40 to 50 Somalis going to fight in Somalia, Syria, and elsewhere with the global jihad. So if that doesn't tell you that the identity politic movement of the left is going to be a continued major liability to this country, I don't know what does. And they're already mobilizing the idea that somehow a Trump administration is going to be racially motivated, is going to be bigoted, and not even acknowledging the facts of how he has shifted his positions, which I was critical of when he said Muslims, and now is talking about those who do not share our values. He's talking about jihadists and Islamists and working with reformers. So we need to deal with the facts, not with conjecture that radicalizes and exaggerates the problems. What has been lost in a lot of this discussion, for example, in Columbus is how the mosque that this individual attended, Masjid Omar, 
Amar al-Khattab Mosque was home to one of the largest known Al-Qaeda cells since 9-11. Patrick Poole had reported about this repeatedly. Follow him on Twitter if you don't follow him because he's a great resource on counterterrorism and homeland security information. And one of the areas he's an expert on is Ohio. He's been talking about this for years. There were over a dozen members of the cell. Three members were charged, including Liman Ferris, Nuruddin Abdi, and Christopher Paul were all charged from that mosque. And it's popular with OSU students. Many of those charged lived just yards from the mosque, as Poole talked about this week. Rasul Rehan from that mosque was killed in Syria in a U.S. airstrike, while his older sister Zakia Nasreen and her husband Jeffrey Khan are still in Raqqa, according to internal ISIS documents which NBC News obtained from an ISIS defector. So you really think that it's a coincidence about the radical roots and commonalities? I don't care if you can't find a single sermon in that mosque that called for militant jihad or barbaric acts. The bottom line is there's a milieu, an atmosphere, a culture of separatism, of jihadism, of a sense of a need to associate Islam with fighting for the ummah globally and not for defending America or loving this country. Again, in this case, we see that. And yet nobody wants to talk about it. And yet the programs to monitor and map public areas, not private wiretapping, public areas of mosques was shut down in New York City two years ago. And de Blasio and other idiotic leaders are proud of that, working with the ACLU and the Brennan Center to continue their willful blindness and continue to put us more and more at risk and focus only on violence and tactics instead of ideology. In the end, we need to end the willful blindness. We need to create a strategy for liberty and against political Islam. We need to have a national consensus that the common roots of every one of these cases is Islamism. It's the Islamism, stupid. I hope in the transition we start to see leaders appointed in the cabinet or in deputy positions that are strong enough and courageous enough to identify the problem as Islamism, to shift the center of gravity from violent extremism to violent Islamism, but also courageous enough to say that Muslims are our greatest allies that they will be needing to lead the reform. The government will not get into religious theology, but simply work with Muslims that promote Americanism, constitutional law and its its supremacy as far as its proponent, its ability to promote common values of freedom and liberty and keep us safe. Don't forget, December 4th next week will be our annual, our second our first anniversary, going into our second year in the Muslim Reform Movement. Join us online at muslimreformmovement.org. There are some links there. It's a rudimentary website, but go to our Twitter handle at the Muslim Reform. Our hashtag is going to be my Muslim Reform, and it'll be our first annual anniversary. And I hope and pray there will not be another attack that we'll have to talk about 
for a long time to come, but I think that until we change our strategy, it's not going to get any better. This is Udi Jasper. Thanks again so much for joining me. God bless you and God bless the United States of America. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.